This is a Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 104 and recording on Thursday, April 30th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky and Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. It's our moms, dads, grads, and uh, other recommendations for, I guess, uh, spring, summer 2015. Yes. We do this twice a year, once for this time because it's summer and a, a whole bunch of gift-giving opportunities are coming up for you, and we'll do it again in the holiday season uh, in November-ish time. We've got lots of good questions, a lot of detailed questions, and we each made our own pick. So I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through, but we're going to get through as many of these as, they, as we can. Um, thank you so much for writing in and trusting us with some very personal information and stories and yeah. family yeah. dynamics going on here. Um, Always interesting. We won't read all of the details, but we'll try to give enough to give context for the recommendations for each. Um, so that's what we'll do. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our first sponsor, uh, and that's going to be Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to make a beautiful, responsive fully feature-packed website, blog, portfolio, online store. If you go to squarespace.com, you can get, this is the the deal is, it's a website builder, but you got to pay for it. You can get 14-day free trial, and you don't have to enter your credit card for that. So if you don't like it, you don't have to remember to cancel it or anything like that. But it's about $8 a month if you sign up for the full year. You also get a, a free domain name. They'll throw in your uh, your domain name for you in that. But you pay you pay some, 8 bucks, but you get a lot. And if you're going to be serious about a project at all, or you think you even might be serious down the line about a project, I think you owe it to yourself to try Squarespace because they give you so much more than you're going to be able to do on your own with a free blogging platform. Here's just a couple of things. I talk about responsive design all the time. You've heard me talk about it. What that means is if you have a website, it's going to look great no matter if someone looks on their iPhone or on their giant 30-inch monitor and every screen size in between. These ready-made templates that Squarespace has that you can use, and you can customize the colors and the layout and the and the font selection, but the built into the website design for those templates is that they scale and rearrange themselves to look good. So it's not going to look the same on every device, but it's going to look the best it can for the device that your 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 customer or your reader or your family member or your coworkers or your boss, whoever you imagine looking at it that you want to impress, they're going to be impressed by that. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of different kinds of templates. The other thing that's nice that you don't get with a free platform is support. 24-7 email and chat support. It's award-winning stuff. They have a whole bunch of dedicated people that that's what they do. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna interact with real people who know what they're talking about that spend all of their days helping fi- people figure out about Squarespace. Because we all have different things we need to do with our websites. Um, and so not every template they have is gonna encounter, you know, everything you're gonna wanna do, or every file you have, or every snippet of code you have. Um, but they're gonna do the best they can to help you figure it out. The other thing that's nice about Squarespace is that you can go and um, if you want to sell stuff, they have an they have an e-commerce solution built in, so you can they're ready to go. Check out payment processing, the whole deal, and that's included in your eight dollars a month. You don't have to pl- you have to buy anything extra there. And if you go to squarespace.com and enter offer code right at the checkout, you can get ten percent off. So try your fourteen day trial, build whatever it is you're looking to build, see if it you know give yourself some chance to play with the tools and see if it's right for you. And then when you finally decide to check out, use the offer code Riot and get, save yourself a little money. Also, let Squarespace know you came from us. They keep sponsoring the show. 
That's exactly okay. the sound it makes when you sign up. Yeah, I, that would be very satisfying <laughs> if it uh, made, this, made this. So we're, I guess we're just going to go through these in order. We didn't group these by theme at yeah, all. Yeah, you know, and there weren't that many overlapping themes this time. Like there, there were mom is the mom. theme. Yeah, <laughs> there have been a few times that we've done this where it's been like, okay, we got seven emails from people who need this same kind yeah, of yeah. thing, and we're not in that situation this time. It's interesting. Um Oh, and as a note for our listeners, I'm coming from a friend's, I'm in a, at a friend's house in Vermont in the country, so you might hear sounds of nature. Like, we've, we've <laughs> been, we have snoring dogs and birds making sounds, and so um, it's very cozy here, but there might be some background noise. And I, and I'm, I'm, I looked through the, our recommendations, because we each wrote it down. I don't think there is a, a Tiny Beautiful Things recommendation. So we're gonna, that's our blanket recommendation for mom is Tiny Beautiful Things. If you're running into Barnes & Noble on Sunday morning, May 10th at uh, 10, 15 a.m. before brunch, and you need to pick something out, and you don't know what, and you don't want to think about it, that would be our blanket, rec- blanket recommendation. For sure. Um, the, and people even mentioned in some of the requests, I already got her Tiny Beautiful Things <laughs> from last year. Stop telling me about Tiny Beautiful Things, you guys. So anyway, I guess I'll Sorry, take the first guys. one, and then we can sort of alternate yeah. reading the, the questions. Um all right. I'm such a big fan of the book. Uh, see, look what I did there. I, I put <laughs> butter on our own bread. That's that's not cool. Anyway, so this is from Candace. She says, I really like to give my beautiful, hardworking mother a book where she can relax and enjoy herself. Sometimes she'll ask me for recommendations. However, though our tastes do overlap a little bit, we tend to read different things. She's a huge, thrilling mystery, mystery geek with strong female leads. So she's already done Gone Girl, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. She's also a big fan of the Harry Potter series. She grew up with Merlin and King Arthur and all that stuff. There's a typo that said King Arthur, which now I want that to exist. Mm-hmm. So someone else is writing, <laughs> someone's writing a, a, you know, a fan fiction for the author. King Arthur would be all right. Um, yeah, so she loved the Harry Potter series so much she stayed up past midnight, the day of the last book, uh, to finish it in one sitting. Oh, man. Wow. And also, I sorry, one more caveat. So many people wanting... I loved Harry Potter, yep. or my mom loved Harry Potter, or my yeah. sister loved Harry Potter. Like, what? That is, the struggle is real to find. <laughs> I don't use that phrase lightly, but that is something we hear over yeah, and over and over again. Post-Potter syndrome is a mm-hmm. real thing. All right. Uh, I guess, uh, A, you're oh. at first in the <laughs> regulations. Right. Yeah. So, you're take, okay. take a so I, had a, I had three ideas for her. The first one was... Uh, Queen of the Tearling by Erica Johansson. If she enjoy, this is for the Harry Potter thing, not necessarily mm. for the mystery thriller thing, because it's not a mystery or a thriller. Um, but it does have a very strong female lead. It's got a lot of magic and supernatural stuff. It's a fantasy. Um, it's not really YA. It was. It wasn't marketed as YA, but people keep calling it YA because the the protagonist is nineteen. Mm. But it's actually it's very grown up. Like there's there's violence and stuff like that. But if she enjoyed Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, she should be fine with it. Um, I also thought she might like Wolf Winter by uh, Cecilia Eckback. This is a mystery thriller, but it's set in the 16th century, I think, in Sweden, um, and it's about a family that lives in you know the middle of nowhere in snowy, snowy, the snowy, snowy north um, in the past. And there's uh, a murder, and the father of the family leaves, and so the matriarch has to kind of hold everything together and keep everyone from dying in this the winter. And it's like dark all the time, and there's wolves, and it's just, and there are also a few supernatural elements there. So that might scratch both itches. And then lastly, um, I thought she might like Broken Monsters. There's a super strong female lead in that. And that is a mystery thriller that also maybe has supernatural. You don't really know. It's it's, so weird. It's a weird book. Like if you were into True Detective at all, Mm -hmm. that kind of mystery thriller, Broken Monsters is your jam. That's by Lauren Bucus. And the um, protagonist of that book is a female cop. And she's really hardcore. 
and it's awesome. So yeah, that one's not for like it's not for the faint of heart. But if your no. mom rocked with the dragon tattoo books, she'd be totally fine. I think. Yeah. Uh, I so would those are mine. recommend I'm Out by Natsuo Carino, which is it's a thriller about a group of women who work in a factory uh, in I think I believe it's China, and they have terrible husbands. And the, the, they get their revenge on their terrible husbands um, in a, a really, like, super metal twist on the fried green tomatoes way of getting revenge on a terrible husband. You sold husband. me with metal for the green tomatoes. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I think uh, Rachel Smalter-Hall, one of our colleagues, wrote about it when the Gone Girl thing was first happening. And um, that's how I came to read it. It's so, so good. Dark, really strong female characters who are plotting together to get revenge. There's a there's not a whodunit question. The question is more how do they do it? Um, but that's a really fun mystery to unravel as well. Um, I thought it was super great. And for the Harry Potter a- angle, probably the um, Magicians trilogy by Lev Grossman, which is about kids who are interviewing for college and find out that it's possible that they might be wizards and they get like swept away to this place that I always think of as being kind of a cross between Hogwarts and Dr. Um, Xavier's Academy in the X-Men. Uh, and they learn wizardry stuff and do crazy things. And it's much um, grittier and grown up than Harry Potter. But uh, also, that dragon tattoo angle sort of indicates to me that your mom can hang with Gritty. So I would go that way. Um, maybe Skippy Dies, which has some magical elements, but it is about a group of boys at a boarding school uh, together. And it's just a delight to read. It's weird and quirky and dark and fun. And there's a video game angle, even though there's not really magic. But I, I'm going to use the first square in Jeff's personal recommendation bingo board, which is The Night Circus <laughs> by Aaron Morgenstern. Uh, it's not really like anything you mentioned here, except that it has magic and magicians in it. And it's got a nice love story in it, too, mm-hmm. which is fun. And it's I've recommended to a bunch of people. It's especially good on audio, as I said, um, narrated by Jim Dale, uh, which is really good. So that's that's one where if she likes a little magic and wants to try something a little bit different, but it's beautiful, great world building, um, really sort of Baroque in its descriptions and pacing. Uh, I, I think that's a good one for someone who is you know, likes the magic, but looking for another angle on it. Because frankly, the, the honest answer is we don't have a Harry Potter. Here's the next one to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amanda actually has a really good recommendation down the show. So keep listening for that. <laughs> um, not to put too much uh, pressure on uh, Nelson <laughs> oh, over there. No. <laughs> All right, uh, Rebecca, you want to take the, the next one? Yeah, this next one is from Celeste. Oh, who... and thank you so much for the donuts yes. recommendations. We have a, we're going to have to do a list or something. Our we'll Twitter feeds were filled yeah, with great got, donuts. So week. I'm going to collect them all. But anyway, sorry, the, the header of this reminded me of that. Uh, so Celeste, in addition to recommending her favorite donut place in Cincinnati, wants us to re- help recommend some books for her book club to try. Um, it's a small group with a couple of friends. They've been meeting for about a year and a half. And a few of them read a lot, but most of the group doesn't read much outside the club. So they're often turning to Celeste to be the source of their recommendations. And she's struggling to figure out how to recommend good books for the club. She says, I'm pretty good at knowing what I myself will like, but I've learned from experience that the other readers don't necessarily like weird books as much as I do, and they tend to enjoy things that are more about a gripping plot and less about the language. Celeste, I so feel you. I've been in this 
exact situation. Um, <laughs> she said, lately they've been trying to pick books that tick off boxes from the Read Harder Challenge. So they've read a micro history and a mystery. Um, some consensus favorites have been Amy Poehler's Yes, Please, Station Eleven, The Goldfinch, The Psychopath Test, and In Cold Blood. Um, and most recently they've read also John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed, but they preferred The Psychopath Test. Some books that did not go over so well with the club um, are, we've got Never Let Me Go, Life After Life, Land of Love and Drowning, and Everything I Never Told You. So that helps us get a handle on what the club has been reading. And she says, any advice is appreciated. So what do you got, Amanda? Okay, well, it seemed from what they liked and did not like that they're into more kind of quirky nonfiction and um, plot-heavy stuff and less like like Land of Love mm-hmm. and Drowning, mm-hmm. everything I never told you. is like these very quiet sort of language-y, literary fiction. Yeah, yeah language things. So I thought they might enjoy Wild by Cheryl Strait, which is a great book club book. Um, everybody knows what Wild is about. I don't know if to tell you. Um, I also thought Zone One by Colson Whitehead might be good. This is a zombie novel, but it's a really literary zombie novel, if that makes any sense. Like, it's, um, it's very plot heavy, but the language is also really nice. And if they enjoyed Station Eleven, then they will enjoy Zone One. I think they're very on par, um, as far as the pacing and the level of just nice sentences. Um, I also thought they might like On Immunity by Eula Biss or Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward, because if they enjoyed... John Ronson's work, mm-hmm. which is very conversation starting and is about kind of controversial topics. On Immunity is about vaccines and it's very short. Men We Reaped is about um, race in America, also pretty short. And those would both be really great. They would just make really, really great conversational books for a book club. Um, and then my one last one was 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas, which is so super charming and nice and is a really... Um, Everyone loves 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas. It's about a little girl who really wants to sing jazz on Christmas Eve. It's, <laughs> it's so just great. great. It is. And it, there's a lot of charming and quirky characters. Um, the chapters are really short. I just think it's a, it's a really good book club pick. Everyone will love it. Yeah, it's a so delight. That's... And if your book club loved, like, Where Did You Go, Bernadette? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, I think that's such a good, or if you liked it, 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas is such a good follow-up to it. Um, I latched on to the thing she said about people preferring a gripping plot and less about language. And I thought about The Interestings by Meg Wallitzer, which is a pretty big novel about a group of friends that meet each other when they're in high school at a performing arts summer camp. And then it follows them through a couple more decades of their lives. And we get we rotate between their all of their different perspectives. So like one of them becomes a super successful, I think, director or something in the movie business. One of them is really struggling to have a creative career. Some of them have given up trying to have creative careers and are doing the things that pay the bills. And they stay connected to each other in some ways, but they also really grapple with uh, how do you maintain relationships with these people you care about when your life situations are no longer similar at all. And when there are, you know, some complicating like jealousy factors or career professional stuff. It's so well done. Um, there, It's very page turning. I read it like in one sitting on a long train ride. And there's a lot to chew on there for a book club especially if these are your friends in the club that you're thinking about how friendship works and how they change over time and how you keep your friendships even when you as an individual are changing. I thought it was really, really great. Um, for something that's languagey and a little weird, so to like satisfy your desire for those things, um, but that also has big questions to ask with your club, I would say I want to show you more, which is a collection of 
short stories by Jamie Quatcher that came out a few years ago. They're about um, marriage. There are some stories about infidelity. There's some looks at motherhood and sort of, you know, big core questions that fiction writers ask. But the language is interesting, but not difficult. And there are just a few touches of the weird. So maybe you can ring everybody's bells that way. Um, An Untamed State by Roxane Gay is a super compelling, impossible to put down a more difficult read that's about a woman who is abducted um, and held hostage for 13 days, um, held, held for ransom in Haiti, what happens to her during that time, and then how she recovers from it. Um, tons to talk about with your book club there as well. Um, and my memoir pick is Wave by Sonali uh, Dharana Yagala, who, uh, whose whole family, like her husband and her children and her parents, were all killed in the tsunami in Sri Lanka in 2004. And this is her memoir of coming out of it. Um, uh. It is incredible. <laughs> Did you read it, Amanda? No, nope, can't, like, can't. No, no it's, shot. It's so, okay, so what happens to her is so devastating. Yep, so that's her, her, yeah, but, <laughs> no, no, but wait, her voice. We are wusses. Yeah. Her, but her voice is so clear and it's so she is so resilient it's this is really a book about resilience and coming out of such a devastating experience and so I I really felt like it was ultimately very hopeful and encouraging like that that this person came through this thing that is like the most horrible thing that you can think of as a person in a family and writes about it in such a just raw honest but really beautiful way it was it's really remarkable um i'm going back to a favorite recommendation too that can tick off a couple of things on your read harder stuff if you want this would be a pulitzer winner from the last 10 years um, also a really good read. Um, it's it's a little fancier than just a page turner, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde by Uno Gies, uh, but it also is super compelling and there's a lot to talk about in a book club scenario. Really complicated ending, complicated relationship between the narrator and Oscar Wilde himself. Um, a comic book geek lover, Oscar Wilde, who is looking for his place in the world and um, becomes a roommate with the narrator. And the narrator is trying to make sense, I think, out of his relationship with Oscar and also Oscar's relationship with the world and what happens to him. Uh, one of one of my most recommended books to my own circle of friends. So that's kind of where I came at it from the book club thing. It's like, what would I recommend to my own friends? This is sort of what you're doing um, in this sort of situation here as well. Um, the other one, I was thinking about, you might think if you're doing uh, Read Harder stuff, is you might try Fun Home by Alison Bechdel. Um, there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, you can tick off a couple of your Read Harder boxes too. And, um, you know, it's it's different, but it also is going to be over fast if people don't <laughs> like it since it's a graphic novel. It's true. So you can, you can give that a shot since I didn't see anything uh, along those lines here. So those would be my, those are my two picks for you. All right, Amanda, you want to read the next one? All right, this is a three-pronged question. Yeah, there question. is. Well, luckily <laughs> we have three prongs here to answer it. We have mom, dad, and not a grad, but the actual yeah. person asking the question. So this is from Annie. Um, so my dad doesn't read physical books, but he only so he only reads audiobooks because he's got a long commute. He likes mysteries and thrillers like Lee Child and David Baldacci, as well as sports-related stories and narrative nonfiction. So he really liked Double in the White City, <clears throat> and she recently got him, excuse me, the audiobook of Dead Wake. So mom likes World War II Holocaust nonfiction and narrative nonfiction and things like Jodi Picoult. Uh, she also reads a lot of YA um, because she is a school librarian. And then the actual question asker, Annie, is looking for something to read in translation. Um, 
She's not well-versed in the land of non-native English writers. She's specifically looking for things from Africa or Asia, the Asian continent that is in translation because she's trying to live the hashtag read harder. A lot of read harder mentions too. I love that. Yeah. I love it. It's great. Um, I don't want to go first because I read it. So someone else go oh, first. Oh, Rebecca, go first. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I had, this is like not quite my wheelhouse. So I mm. had some trouble with some of these, but I think for dad, Dan Brown on audio would be great. Uh, and Amanda has said a couple of times that listening to Dan Brown books on audio is like having this great, like quirky uncle tell you stories about his adventures. Um, so I think maybe do some Dan Brown for that or for the nonfiction angle that dad is into uh, go a little bit weirder than the ones that he's read so far and buy him some Mary Roach. Uh, Stiff is my favorite Mary Roach. It's about all of the things that can happen to your body after you donate it to science. And it's like weird and gross, but totally fascinating. And so if your dad has that angle at all of um, liking to be able to drop fun facts that he learned like at the dinner table with your family, that would be cool. Um, also, what, what is Packing for Mars is the one that's about space travel and space mm. research. And that's not quite as weird as you know the one about dead bodies. Um, but I think it would also be really fun on audio. Uh, do you want to do – should we do all the dad recommendations and, or, and then the mom ones? Or like sure. how do we want to do it? I don't know how to do this. Uh, actually, just go through all your three because it, okay. it's harder to – we have to switch yeah, to Yeah, and so for mom who's into – uh, I could I took the mom YA angle because I don't have a, a pile of recommendations for World War II nonfiction. Um, Beljar by Meg Wallitzer, who I guess is going to be an author that I recommend a lot on this show, um, is a young adult novel that's loosely inspired by the Beljar, but is about a, a teenage girl who has a traumatic experience that she doesn't come back from very easily. So her parents send her away to a country, like to a school located in the country, like in Vermont. Um, and she's selected for this special topics in the English class. It's just a hand-picked group of a few students. And each semester, they focus on the work of one author in the semester that she gets like selected for the class that she knows nothing about. They're reading Sylvia Plath and the Bell Jar, and their teachers give them, their teacher gives them all the students these journals to write in as they read. And the students discover that as they write in their journals, it like takes them to this other place um, that enables them to deal with their problems in an interesting way. And so as the students talk to each other about this experience they're having, um, they become friends and there's like a slightly magical element. It's really a book about um, friendship and healing from difficult moments in your life, but also the power of words and books to help you do that. Um, and another great YA book that I read recently was called Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Daniel Alir Sayens, which is about um, two teenage boys who are best friends. They're from very different families and they're you know struggling to make sense of their identities and of their sexuality and um, one of them is very scrappy gets into fights the other one is quiet and artistic and they through their friendship um, each learns to be you know more comfortable with who he is but great YA um, that I've started to see getting recommended more widely but um, that maybe hasn't made it hasn't bubbled up to your mom yet um, and I think that's it for me. All right, I'll circle around so we'll do, we'll do the wheel uh, slightly out of order. <laughs> um, for Dad, I'm going to go off the the standard thriller mystery stuff and recommend a, a twist, uh, Motherless Brooklyn by Jonathan Lethem, which came out in 2001. Uh, it's a it's a crime novel. It's a detective novel set in Brooklyn. Um, 
but it's 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 a little askew. the The detective has Tourette syndrome, so that's a part of his problem when he's investigating. Because sometimes you got to keep things close to your vest, and you're trying to like keep up that good uh, Sam Spade front. But it doesn't always work. So it's a twist on the classic detective thriller. It gets weird and it's funky and it's fun. It has a good plot and a good ending. Um, also pretty good on audio as well. Uh, let's see, from Mom, World War II. I really liked, I read last year, I think I've talked about it on the show before, Monuments Men by Robert Edsel, which is uh, nonfiction. It's about the this group of uh, World War II, I guess they were technically soldiers, but they were mostly art historians and curators that were, were enlisted by the army to help um, protect the art and cultural treasures of Europe during World War II. And so they would go and try to make sure they, you know, when they went into a town, they'd tell the soldiers, don't, don't, don't blow that up. Um, <laughs> and then they would also take inventories of museums as they sort of came back through Europe and were pushing the Nazis out to see what paintings were missing. And then also private collections. And then, you know, Hitler basically collected in, uh, in Goebbels too these huge personal art collections from the Jews and the great his, uh, cultural institutions of Europe and they kept them like Goebbels had it on a huge train that he was like, just driving through Europe and, and Hitler put it under <laughs> this crazy. mountain that was in this old mine um, and it was booby trapped and they had to figure out how to do all that stuff and basically you know getting the, the riches of of Europe's uh, intellectual and artistic tradition and keep them safe. It's a great read. The The movie that was made out of it is a complete snooze. Um, and I wanted to really <laughs> like it, but I fell asleep during the first 20 minutes, which oh, is not literal some, snooze. Yeah, like a literal <laughs> snooze. Um, I really wanted to watch it because I really liked the book and I'd read the book first. Um, I did on audio, I should say, actually. But so, so if you've heard bad things about the movie, uh, you're right and they're right. But the book I thought was a lot of fun. So if your mom likes World War II stuff, this is a different angle on that. And then for Annie, who's, who's looking for, this is an African writer, um, Ismail Bea, I think is how you say his name, B-E-A-H. Mm-hmm. Um, and his n- most recent, well, I guess his first novel, his first book was a, a memoir, but his um, novel is called The Radiance of Tomorrow, and it's about child soldiers in Sierra Leone. Um, it's intense, uh, as you might guess, from uh, sort of a- child soldiers in Sierra Leone, but it's it's beautiful um, and heartbreaking and uh, really enlightening about about that particular time. It's, there's a whole there's a whole raft of books about child soldiering in Africa that are all for some reason I can handle those. I don't know how, um, but but that's basically the limit of my stomach for bad stuff happening to kids. But that's one I would pick for a, for an African writer. All right, my go. So for dad, I just said anything by Gillian Flynn. If he's into mystery thrillers, she writes books that are both mysteries and thrillers at the same time. Um, anything, she, anything, Gone Girl, Dark Places, Sharp Objects, pretty much anything. He'll like it. It'll be fine. Um, for mom, I did the World War II angle. If she likes like history, like hardcore history, uh, there's a book called Stalingrad by Anthony Beaver, which is kind of a classic of World War II history. It's Pretty thick, as history books <laughs> tend to be. Um, but it is a look at just the Battle of Stalingrad, where like a million civilians uh, and soldiers died in that battle. So it starts from when the Nazis show up at you know the front door of essentially of Stalingrad, and then it goes through the lives of civilians and soldiers as Hitler or as um, as they push the Nazi army out in like a complete surprise twist, I guess, and then uh, send them running. Um, it's really 
fascinating. And the looks, the, the like looks at individual civilians in that book are really heartbreaking. And then also she might enjoy Girls of Atomic City. Um, uh, this is a more recent yeah. book. It's about World War II, but it's about um, women who worked in a secret city called Oak Ridge in Tennessee that was built, the city was built in 1942 uh, as part of the Manhattan Project. And the women who worked there didn't know what they were working on. Like their work was so compartmentalized and secretive and they weren't allowed to talk to each other about it even though they lived together. Like the city was huge. It, it used up as much electricity as New York. Um, but they weren't allowed to talk about it and they didn't find out what they were actually doing until the first bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. And then they realized that they had the, what they had been building. And so it's um, both kind of feministy if your mom is into that and if it comes from the World War II angle. Um, as far as books in translation, that's not, I'm not great at that. Not my wheelhouse. But if you want to read something buzzy, Marie Kondo's uh, Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up has is translated from Japanese. That's been everywhere recently. Mm -hmm. I read it, and it's just what it sounds like. It's a, it's about or using Japanese methods of organization. Um, some of the stuff in it is is really useful. I found some of it to be kind of silly, but it's it's changing a lot of people's <laughs> lives across the book internet and... Check it out yeah. if you um, are into that. <laughs> out by Natsuo Karina, which I mentioned higher up in the show, is also translated. So that would be a good option. And Jen, our coworker, reads more of this stuff than I do. And she recommended The Three-Body Problem mm -hmm. by um, Shishin Liu, I think is how you pronounce it, who is China's most beloved science fiction author. And it's a sci-fi story set against the backdrop of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. There's a secret military project to send signals into space and establish contact with aliens and the alien civilization is on the brink of destruction and they capture the signal and plan to invade earth. Um, and she said it was just like bonkers, great, <laughs> like, you know, epic, real, you know, science fiction in translation. So it might ring some of your bells there. All right. The next one is super long, so I'm not going to read the whole mm -hmm. thing. Um, and she is uh, asking for basically two recommendations. One is, a book about a book. So she really loved the Cemetery of Forgotten book series and Marina by Carlos Ruiz Zafon, which I haven't read either of those. But she's basically wanting a book where somehow a book is the the center and it becomes, a, I guess, a mechanism for revealing a magical world or a hidden world or something like that. She was, has been recommended The Haunted Bookshop, Mr. Penumbra's Haunted Bookshop, Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore, and The House of Leaves. Liked them, but wasn't the same deal. The second one is Paris. Paris, Paris, Paris. Whatever we've got about Paris, basically, <laughs> uh, is what it, what he's saying here. Um, okay, uh, Mandy, want to lead off? Yeah. Um, well, I was first going to see Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore, but she says she already tried that mm -hmm. and didn't really dig it. So I thought um, she might like The 13th Tale. This is uh, by Diane Sutterfeld. It's about a – or Sutterfield, rather. Um, a girl who – lives with her uh, her father. Her father runs an antique bookshop. Um, she gets a letter that a famous novelist wants her to write her biography, uh, which is weird to her because she's never met this woman before and has no idea how she found out about her and all that. And so she goes into her father's uh, antique bookshop and finds one of the novelist's books and starts to kind of flip mm. through it to see... Um, to, like, learn what she can about this uh, woman. And then the book is called 
13 tales of change and desperation, I think. And the 13th tale is missing. And she can't figure out why, like the 13th tale in the book. And so she decides to meet with the novelist and act as her biographer and kind of figure out what her deal is. And as the you know story unfolds, there are like deep, dark secrets and, and that sort of thing. Um, she goes to her house. And it's very like dark and English and brooding and um, yeah, hidden family stuff. So that might scratch that bookish kind of itch, books about books that you're looking for. Um, as far as Paris, I was thinking about The Paris Wife, which is a novelization of Hemingway's first wife, whose name is Hadley. now escaping. Thanking you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, Hadley. And their life in Paris when he was when Hemingway was a newspaper writer still and was writing I th- one of his first novels. I don't remember which one. Um, so there's a lot of Francy Franceness happening in, happening mm-hmm. in that book. Lots of food and like cultural stuff. And then for nonfiction, My Life in France, which is Julia Child's memoir, um, might scratch a couple itches. It's got a lot of obviously food, and you seem to be really into that. And she says in her request that she's not really looking for like a love story, but Julia Child had a great relationship with her husband, and she does talk about that a lot. But it's not like a love story, you know, like they don't go to Paris mm-hmm. to fall in love kind of a thing. It's um, more about her and her work and all of that and food. So that's what I would say. All cool. Done. <laughs> I had a harder time with this one. Neither of these is really super in my wheelhouse. Um, I think for a book about books, but it doesn't have a specific book at the center. This is kind of like a sideways recommendation. Um, Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley is about a a woman who lives on a farm with her brother. He's a famous writer. It's said in like the early 20th century, I think. Um, He's a famous writer and this guy rolls up in Uh, basically a covered wagon bookstore uh, (laughs) that he wants to sell it to the famous writer brother, but the writer is not home and the woman is yearning for some adventure. And so she just up and buys the wagon and like sets off with the man who owns it and they fall in love and drive their bookstore wagon, which they call Parnassus on wheels around the country selling books to people. And there are these really, it's a novella. It's very short. So you could read it in a cozy Saturday afternoon or sit out in the sunshine and think warm thoughts about books. Um, there are these really excellent paragraphs about what it means to help a person find the right book and what happens in our lives when someone else gives us the right book. Um, and uh, there's just this piece that every reader can relate to. So not a fictional book at the center of a different fictional book, but that same sort of feeling, it gave me the same feeling that I got reading the Carlos Ruiz Zephon books. Um, for Paris... I don't know, maybe not quite straight Paris, but um, A Sport and a Pastime by James Salter is about a young man who meets a woman and they travel through like, mm-hmm. the south of France together having a summer affair. Um, it, it feels very French to me. It is. It's not Paris, but it's, it's very, it's very French. It's a very French kind of story, too. And um, James Salter's book that he wrote with his wife called Life is Meals that's about food and there's a, a, a different entry for every day of the year. But about food and recipes has also sort of a French flavor and a lot of great travel-related stuff to it there, uh, too. Some, some non-obvious Maybe completely useless recommendations, but, um, but books that I really loved that get some that kind of ring those bells. I don't know. This one was a tough one for me. Yeah, tough. Um, I'm I don't have anything for the books within books pick. I'm afraid to say. Um, so I'm going to do a, a pair for the Paris. Hey, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of going off Amanda's pick of the Paris wife. Um, I'm going um, ex- expat. 
And A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway, which is a memoir of his time in Paris, um, especially the early days of Paris in the late teens and early 20s, I think, where, you know, he's palling around with with uh, Gertrude Stein and she's collecting uh, Picasso and Cubists and uh, F. Scott is there. You see James Joyce make an appearance or two. And it's about that whole scene of basically drinking all night, um, waking <laughs> up hungover, writing for a while, and then starting it all over again. The nonfiction companion piece, David McCullough wrote The Greater Journey, um, uh, the subtitle is Americans in Paris, a, a history of the expat generation. It's a big book. It came out a few years ago, and it gives the historical backdrop for a lot of the expat stuff, the lost generation stuff we hear about, about Stein and Fitzgerald and Hemingway, but they were just the sort of most notable names of a whole flood of of, of people that came from America, um, I think starting in about 1830 and then all the way up until, you know, basically World War One and, and a little after World War One, especially. Um, a really great book. It's long, I should say. It's 600 pages. But if you're into Paris and you're an American, especially, I think this is going to be really interesting to think a lot of the romance we think about Paris comes out of this generation for America. You notice we don't have the same sort of I don't know, you know, Berlin for different reasons, but like London or Amsterdam or even Madrid, you know, we don't have the same sort of romantic attachment to Par- to those cities as we do to Paris as Americans. And it's because of this generation that we do. So this is a good history to give you some background of your own Francophilia, frankly, <laughs> might come from some of the stuff that McCullough uh, writes about there. I'll second your emotion for movable feast. Yeah, summertime. Since, yeah, I read that last summer. That was my Jeff summer reading assignment. Yeah. It's short too. You <laughs> yeah, know, it was, and it was perfect for summer. It was yeah. Great. If you can, if you have a glass of red wine and a hammock, that that's the that the ideal reading situation for for that. For uh, everything. Oh, for, well, that's a really <laughs> excellent life point. In general. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, let's see. Who's up to read? I have uh, no idea. Yeah, uh, I'll do this one. Okay. This question is from Valerie. She's looking for recommendations for her 13 year old son who doesn't read much. Um, he has ADHD. And so it makes it hard for him to sit and read sometimes. He reads at the age appropriate level. um, And several months ago, he got Ready Player One by Ernest Klein in a loot crate shipment and has been slowly reading and really enjoying it. Um, He finished the book a few days ago. And so she would like to get him another book to read during his silent reading periods in school. He's very into online gaming. And so she thinks that that part of that's the part of Ready Player One that he really enjoyed. Um, But he also liked liked the adventure and the plot twists. Um, And he's looking forward to being able to see that movie come to life on the screen. Um, Kind of taking that angle, Valerie picked up The Maze Runner for him, thinking that he would like that page-to-screen thing, and that's an action-y book, but that doesn't seem to be turning his pages quite as much. (laughs) (laughs) And so she's looking for some recommendations that would do this for him, maybe the um, video game angle, similar to Ready Player One, great for a 13-year-old reader. Attention-grabbing. What do you got, Amanda? All right. I have kind of a controversial one, Ender's Game. Or I, I, you both snaked picks for me, and one of them was Ender's Game. I think so. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for okay. sure. The, the, and the Orson... controversy is not the book. Yeah, it's the, no, the, it's the, the Orson Scott Card himself is a homophobe. But yeah. as content goes, that's like the most spot on recommendation, right? Yes. So if you if you're not a, and it has a movie, so if he would want to go see the movie after, he can mm-hmm. do that. And it's um, great on audio. Oh, I didn't. I've never. I, didn't mean I read it. I read it when I was like 13. So I feel yeah. like this is a good. I'm like right there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but. It, it's about a boy who's really great at games, and he gets taken up by the military to essentially... Oh, gosh, I, don't, I can't explain it without giving it away. There's a great game component, I'll just say yeah. that. Um, and there's a uh, there's the morality of 
war is addressed in it, but it's not like as super violent as some books and especially some sci-fi books about uh, war can be. I Man, you just can't really describe the plot without mm-hmm. giving it away. But <laughs> Basically, Ender's Ender game. gets drafted into Battle School, which is to be yes. part of the galactic fleet protecting Earth from these like bug alien invaders. Bug aliens. And then from there, there's some twists that we're trying to skirt because that's part of the fun. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. And if you don't want to support Orson Scott Card himself, you can get it from the library or find it at a used bookstore. Yep. I also thought that if he's got problems with attention, uh, a comic or a graphic novel might be um, helpful. The, the pictures, you know, can be um, more attention grabbing than just sitting and looking at blocks of text. And I thought In Real Life by Cory Doctorow and who's the... Jen Wang is the illustrator. Um, this is a recent graphic novel. It's about a young girl who plays a, an MMRPG. Yeah, mm-hmm. I never get those letters right. She plays an online video game. It's where she spends like all of her free time, just like the character uh, in Ready Player One. And then she makes friends with a, another character, or a real person, but a poor Chinese kid whose avatar in this game collects valuable objects against the rules of the game, collects valuable objects, and then sells them to other players who live in developed countries, like for actual money. So in this game, money can actually be exchanged. And he lives in poverty, so he's breaking the rules of the game so that he can support himself in real life. Um, And she gets really kind of upset about it because he's breaking the rules of the game, basically. But then she starts to question the morality of, is it really is that really not okay when he's actually trying to eat food, like to buy actual food for himself? And so it brings up a lot of big questions about like justice that young teenagers really start to get interested in, I think, when they're around that age. Um, and it's the whole thing is about a video game. So it's it's like Ready Player One in comic form with a girl. So I think I'll really like that. That's it. Yeah. I was also thinking comics and I asked the folks over at panels, which is our comic site, what they would pick. And there was sort of a universal unanimous outcry for the Scott Pilgrim comics <laughs> by Brian Lee O'Malley. Um, Scott Pilgrim is a like just a kid in his early twenties. who's in a band and like, he's just dating a cute girl, but th- like everything seems kind of fine until this girl, Ramona flowers, who is just mind blowingly rad starts, um, like if the thing I'm looking at here says cruising through his dreams and sailing by him at parties and hey. his, his life gets turned upside down by this and he faces down her seven evil ex-boyfriends in battle um, and it has a very video game kind of feel to it like you know beating the, the progressive bosses um, really fun very colorful and they're comics and so you could buy like volume one I think has the first six issues but there were a floppity jillion yeah, issues of the Scott Pilgrim comics so if he likes the first one you'll have you'll be able to keep him going on those for a while Um, and I also thought of You by Austin Grossman uh, which is a novel about a kid who grew up a guy who grew up loving video games and he gets a job at the the black arts games which is like in the book it's kind of a Nintendo sort of company they're on the frontier of gaming technology and this is this guy's his name's Simon this is his dream Um, but it's also that he wants to be there and figure out what caused his best friend who was uh, incredibly gifted and what caused his best friend's mysterious death that was related to the gaming company's big breakout hit. Um, so you've got gaming and mystery and like some friendshipy stuff to sink your teeth into there. Um, I'm going to recommend what I read at 13 and enjoyed <laughs> at 13, which is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Um, it's a comedic space adventure 
existential romp. That, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how they that's how they shelve it. So it's it's with the other space comedy existential romps. <laughs> that's um, like there are seven books in that section, and they're all by Douglas. They're, they're all Douglas Adams. The increasingly <laughs> misnamed Hitchhiker's the Trilogy. There's actually five books of it now, um, but they're short. But I think one, you know, I don't know a lot about ADHD, but I, I have some friends who have who have dealt with it in the past. They say one thing: comedy is often good, and Hitchhiker's is funny. It's a so funny, funny book. It's snappy. There's a lot of different kinds of characters and places and a lot to keep someone engaged. Um, and it's really smart. Douglas Adams is one of the sort of notorious brains uh, of sci-fi. Um, also very good on audio. I'm not sure if he's ever tried that. Um, it's uh, narrated by Stephen Fry. Um, the other pick I have, I also thought comics. Um, Saga by uh, Matt Fraction and uh, Fiona Staples. Brian um, K. Vaughn. Oh, sorry. I'm getting all my, my fractions and Vaughn's confused. Ryan <laughs> K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, uh, which is also a space romp, I would say. Uh, I've described it before as Star Wars meets Romeo and Juliet, uh, maybe with a little Blade Runner thrown in. Uh. Um, and it's a little it's a little more mature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I wondering when you put say, that in there. I was like, really? But, yeah, maybe there's too much sexy times, I guess. Yeah, maybe that's well, – I'm not really sure. You, you take your own – There's te- the, maybe, the whole palace. Yeah, there. Yeah, okay. There's. I guess you're right. Okay, that's too old. That's too old. I forgot about that. I'm so sorry. Too old. Too old. Too old. So Saga when he's 16, I guess. Yes. Yeah, yes. 16. Yes. So I'm gonna stick with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Forget I ever mentioned Saga. That doesn't exist. It's nothing. Forget about but it. But mom, you should read it. <laughs> yeah. I'll <laughs> also look for uh, I'll see uh, Saga uh, for somewhere else down the line. Um, okay. Amanda, right. I guess you have to read yeah, this I go. one. Okay, yeah. this one's from Sarah. Uh, this is, she's asking for a recommendation for her boyfriend's sister, who is graduating from college in May. Oh, we got a grad. Hurrah. Okay. Um, let's see. She's recently become a devoted Christian and loved the Left Behind series. She's traveled to Brazil with athletes in action and is spending this summer in Iceland playing soccer. So maybe a book with sports, travel, and God. Um, she also likes books that are being made into movies or TV shows. And then Sarah herself is asking for a recommendation. She loves retellings of fairy tales and is uh, currently reading all of the Eloisa James romantic fairy tale series. Those are so good. Well done. They are so Um, good. Yeah. So she's looking for something along those lines. And she's also really enjoying Florence and the Machine right now, which is a band, and was wondering if we have any pairings of books and music. She would love to read something that has the same vibe as Florence and the Machine. So. All right. Mm. Shinsky, you're first. The Christian faith, maybe travel angle is not a thing I know a ton about, but I remembered last year we had a contributor named Natalie Meyer who wrote a piece about a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller, um, mm-hmm. who is a Christian writer. And so it's a, a book that's about his personal spiritual experiences, but also it relates heavily to travel and it inspired um, our writer, Natalie, to make huge changes in her life and to take up a lot of traveling and to go and see the world. And um, so I gather that A Million Miles in a Thousand Years has to do with faith and questions of seeing the world and being, you know, being out and experiencing bigger things and making important changes in your life. And especially if her faith is a relatively new thing for her or this level of commitment to her faith is relatively new, it seems like that might be a good guess. Um, full disclosure, it's a total guess. Um, <laughs> but the, the piece that Natalie wrote really resonated with me and, and seemed interesting. Um, it doesn't have a faith angle, but I would also recommend Alibis by Andre Achiman. It's a collection of essays mm. that, um, that I really loved that are all about what are we trying to get? What questions are we trying to answer? Like, what is the 
need that we're trying to meet when we travel. Why do we travel? Um, people who love to travel, what is it that travel does for us that nothing else can do in the same way? Um, it, it's very meditative. And I, I think that if you are a religious person, you can, you, you will bring that, you know, um, those values and ideas to inform on anything that you're reading or experiencing. And, and there's an, a way that that could tie in. It might just be a really interesting sort of thought experiment for her um, to read that angle. But it's one of the best books about travel that I've ever read. And it's not about going really to specific places, but about um, that sort of existential meaning of leaving the place that you know and going somewhere new. Um, and Florence and the Machine. So she didn't say what she likes about Florence and the Machine. So I took some guesses um, of it being a strong female voice and uh, and a slightly unusual sound. And so from there, I'm going to recommend Karen Russell, uh, who is a great writer and her short stories. My favorite one is uh, my favorite of her collections is St. Lucy's home for girls raised by wolves. That's probably a Shinsky bingo square. Mm. At this point. <laughs> I talk about it on a lot of these recommendations shows, but um, all of the premises of her stories are a little bit weird, but she just sells the crap out of them. Um, she's fully committed to whatever the weird thing is that she's doing. And it's so believable. You just completely buy it. And, uh, and I feel like Florence and the machine, like they commit to their particular thing in that same way. Uh, and that's what I like about listening to them. So that's where I went with that. Um, I think I'm up next. So for the soccer, um, boyfriend's sister, boyfriend's sister. Yeah. Yes. Um, soccer and sudden shadowed by Eduardo Galliano. I haven't read this, but I actually was recording a reading lives with Guy Gonzalez yesterday. And he's in, in the, uh, hot white center of a huge soccer reading, mm. um, binge. And, um, the one that he mentioned there that I, I'm going to pass along is, is soccer and sudden shadow by Eduardo Galliano, who is an Uruguayan author and journalist. And it tells the story of soccer from its earliest beginning in China 5,000 years ago, um, all the way up to the 2010 World Cup. But it's in these poetic, historical slash magical realist vignettes um, that talks about the history of soccer, but also how it intersects with political and cultural life. Um, Galliano himself um, is a Catholic and his own Catholicism becomes part of the story and the Catholicism of a lot of the South American countries that are heavily, you know, soccer uh, crazy, they're soccer crazy, and some of the, the 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 parallels between Catholic religion and spirituality and um, ritual and um, I, icon, iconic stuff with how people think about soccer in South America. I thought it might be an interesting connection there. Um, the other one, Boy Snowbird, for the fairy tales uh, for oh, you yourself yeah. by Helen Oyeyemi, which is a modern twist retelling of the Snow White story. I'm not going to say more about it than that for right now. The other one that uh, I just thought of, actually, we're talking about graphic novels, is um, Fables by Bill Willingham, uh, which is about sort of classic fairy tale characters who get kicked out of fairy tale land because of, uh, of the looming threat of something, which I'm not going to give away either, and get, <laughs> get crammed into a New York City apartment building and have to live together. It's um, so good. It's, a, it's, it's great. It's really fun, and there's a whole bunch of them too. So you can get the first volume. If you like it, great. There's a whole bunch more. If you don't, you can stop there, and, and you've got a taste of what it is. Um, but that's one I, w I would suggest for uh, someone who likes fairy tale retellings. All right. Okay. I got you, girl. Yeah, you're all set. You, yeah, <laughs> right. we need you. This here. is your wheelhouse. Yeah. All right, this, like all of these, <laughs> I've got it. Okay, so um, for the for the religious angle, um, I let's see, I have a list. Okay, I am a Christian and I read a lot of Christian nonfiction, so I, I've got you. Uh, Girl Meets God by Lauren F. Winner is a conversion story. Uh, Lauren 
grows up as an Orthodox Jew and later converts to Christianity when I think she's in college. So if your uh, boyfriend's sister is a recent convert, then she will relate a lot to um, her story. And it's really fascinating. Lauren goes into a lot of how she takes uh, stuff from her Orthodox Jewish faith and like transfers it over to her functioning Christianity. So that's a really interesting angle that I don't think a lot of Christians ever really hear. Um, So that's great. Let's see. Traveling Mercies by Anne Lamott. Uh, Anne Lamott is one of my favorite Christian writers. And she writes just this like funny, irreverent kind of stuff about Christianity. And if I tend to find I tend to find that like no judgment, but new Christians can be super hard to take sometimes. No zealot like, like the convert. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so uh Anne Lamott is like 60 now. She's a grandma. She's been a believer for like for like 40 years so she's chill and if you think that your boyfriend's sister could use a little bit of chill <laughs> traveling mercies i think the subtitle is uh, thoughts on faith then throw that her way um another one is bread and wine by shauna nyquist this is um about the intersection of faith and food and how feeding people um can can fulfill a lot of spiritual whatever itches that you've got uh, once you convert to Christianity. And there are recipes in the book. And if she's traveling, it seems like she likes to travel, but if she tends to get homesick, this is a really great one because the book is all about um, like like family and how your family is pretty much whoever is around your table at the moment. So if she needs any sort of encouragement while she's away from home, that's a great pick. Um, for the fairy tale retellings, The Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer, the first book in that series is Cinder. This is a YA sci-fi kind of dystopia sort of set in China um, in the future. (laughs) The first one Cinder retells Cinderella and then the rest of them retell um, Rapunzel and The Little Red Riding Hood. The series isn't complete yet. There's another one. Winter is coming out this year and that one will retell Snow White. Um, Cinder is a cyborg. So that's awesome. Cinderella retold with a cyborg. I didn't really need much more than that to read it. I read it like the day it came out and I read all of them. Uh, sense. It's really fun. And then for Florence and the Machine, what I also like Rebecca pulled a strong female voice out of that and also kind of weird and like otherworldly is mm. what I feel when I listen to Florence and the Machine. So I went with a short story collection called Diving Bells by Lucy Wood. Oh, These so are, smart. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, scratching my, my former bookseller itch here. Diving Bells, are, it's okay. It's like Cornish. Magical realism, if that makes sense. And all of the stories have really interesting female characters. Like the the main story, the title story, Diving Bells, is about men who get lured into the sea by mermaids and wives who are on land can rent an actual diving bell to go under the sea and get their husbands back. Um, There's a story about a nursing home for supernatural characters, like witches and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, But they're... In a very Gabriel Garcia Marquez sort of way, as magical realism is, it's just said so matter-of-factly, like you just accept the reality of all this really weird stuff. So it gets very eerie. And in the same way that Florence's voice can get very eerie and like ghostly, the stories really fit right into that tone. So that's it. We should do our next sponsor before we keep going. Yes, we should. That's me. So this, um, we are, find my notes, Invincible by Amy Reed is the next sponsor. This book is already out, came out April 28th from Catherine Teagan Books. So if you enjoyed like John Green, the Fault in Our Stars um, meets kind of, oh, 
Now I'm stuck for words. It's not your typical kind of cancer book. And I'm using scare quotes right now. You can't see me, but I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing scare quotes. So the main character, Evie, um, this is a YA novel. She's a teenager. She survives a terminal cancer diagnosis. And, but that's not the end. Like a lot of books about illness and teenagers is about, you know, a sweet and heroic kid kind of struggling with their illness. And then they overcome it and everything's happy. But this is not that. At the beginning, she survives her terminal cancer diagnosis and then starts to spiral into self-destruction and addiction because she can't fi- fit back into her life. Now that she's not sick anymore, her parents still treat her with kid gloves. All of her friends still treat her like she's ill. Everybody still knows her as the cancer kid. And so when she's trying to figure out how to live her life without that hanging over her head, she meets a boy named Marcus who is, of course, he's trouble. Um, He's troubled himself with a D and he is also trouble for her. He did not know her when she was sick, so he's never known her as, you know, the cancer girl. So he treats her like a normal person, and she starts following him down these really self-destructive paths. So it's more about what happens after the happy ending when you don't know what to do with yourself. The life that she's kind of tried to construct um, and keep together all through her battle with cancer just starts to fall apart. So um, Amy Reed is really well-known in YA for writing really thoughtful literary fiction about complex and flawed teenage characters, a lot of whom battle drugs and alcohol, mental illness, and and things like that. And Invincible is the first book in a duology, so a second book will be coming, told from the point of view of the boy character of Marcus. So that's a really interesting um, angle. So that's Invincible by Amy Reed. It's already out, so you can get it now. It came out April 28th from Catherine Teagan Books. So there we go. All right. We're we, we have to institute a new rule. We okay. each get one pick. Oh, okay. Okay. Because we're we're halfway through here and oh, we've got God. a bunch more to do. So we gotta we gotta snap it up a little bit. This is so, a jumbo show. I would like right. uh, so recognition for myself. I enjoy nonfiction books and especially like how authors like Mary Roach and Amy Stewart approach subjects with an easy to follow format that aren't too technical. I like learning new things when I read any recommendations. Thanks, Jamie. I think we all have good picks here. So Amanda starts off. Uh, I said A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson. Um, he's a really, really funny nonfiction author. He has very dry wit, a lot like Mary Roach. And whereas Mary Roach takes one topic and like researches researches it to death, A Short History of Nearly Everything is about nearly everything. So there's science, history, anthropology, um, starts from prehistory all the way up to modern day. And it's hilarious. I did this one on audio, and I really I did too. Love it so much. Yes, yes. So there you go. (laughs) Uh, My pick is the Canon by Natalie Angier. Canon, like literary canon, Uh, but it's she's been a science writer for a couple of decades. There's this really she has this really charming, uh, accessible voice, and the whole setup of the Canon is that. Uh, Sometimes education can fetishize science into being this thing that's hard to understand or that you have to be like super smart to understand science. Um, But Angier's perspective is that scientific literacy and understanding how our bodies work and how the like the fundamental elements of the world work is important for everyone. And so she sets out to write about it in a way that anyone can grasp. And the canon goes through like the most important core scientific principles, which uh, if you're like me and most of high school biology was not taught in a way that resonated for you and you have forgotten a lot of it. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to blame my teachers for that. I'm sure that I had some role in it, but whatever. Um, the the canon was is a great refresher and a great introduction also. And I picked up a billion, hey, did you know, did you know, uh, things about the ways that our, that our bodies and the way that our world works. It's really fantastic. 
I picked How, you got to, How We Got to Now by Stephen Johnson, which is now a PBS miniseries, I guess. Um, this book is organized around seven topics and sort of follows the history of how they develop. So one is about glass, all the way from finding gl- the first instance we know of glass in a scarab beetle in the pharaoh's tomb from ancient Egypt that was probably created by a meteor strike in the Sahara because we didn't know how to make it back then, um, through, um, through microscopes and telescopes and uh, eyeglasses. And then so each one has sort of a long history of a particular piece. And then one is about clean. It's about hygiene, disinfectants. Um, and another one that's interesting that I can think of right off the top of my head is about cold, refrigeration and freezing and how each of these things have affected our lives and civilizations in ways we don't really understand. So it's it's really interesting. You don't have to follow a topic for too long. Um and each one of them is like a great story of it itself, which an object or an item or an idea is kind of the protagonist of the chapter. So that's a good one uh, to try as well. Okay. Um, I guess, Rebecca, you're up to Yeah. Me. Next question is from Maureen. She's very close with her grandmother and wants to make this Mother's Day extra special for her because she's recently made a difficult decision to sell her beloved house and move to a retirement home. Uh, Grandma is a big reader and she has expressed that she's finding it increasingly difficult, though, to maintain her attention span as she reads. She's 86 years old now. Um, she recently read and loved The Book of Negroes by Lawrence Hill, which, is, which goes under the title Someone Knows My Name in the U.S., and she's um, excited just to have been able to enjoy a book again. So Maureen is looking for a book that can replicate that experience for her. Um, She doesn't know exactly what is going to ring her grandmother's bell, so she told us um, just some key pieces of data. Grandma grew up in the Netherlands and immigrated to Montreal in the 50s. She enjoys reading about World War II, her home country, immigration, war brides, and basically anything that touches on her personal uh, lived experience she enjoyed Sarah's Key by Tatiana Durazne and used to read a lot of Maeve Binchy uh, and doesn't think that she would like fantasy, magical realism, or mysteries, but would probably prefer fiction and memoirs over nonfiction. So lots to chew on there. Amanda. Okay, I went with the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. I was, ooh, that's such a long title. Um, it's by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows. This is a kind of shorter uh, World War II novel that's also very charming and heartwarming. It's about a small island off the coast of England that gets occupied by the Nazis during World War II, and the um, quirky, very quirky cast of characters has to survive the occupation with, and like keep their spirits up. Um, and the so they start a literary and potato peel pie society, which is just a cover for like, and it gives them an excuse to be out past curfew so they can trade like black market goods and stuff like that. And um, there's a bookish angle. They have a fake book club. Um, there's an unexpected romance and it's told in, uh, it's epistolary. So it's told in letters from the point of view of a modern journalist who is reading these letters about, about the past. So it's got a lot, I think, of, there's a, a war bride situation in World War II. Um, there are a few immigrant characters. So it scratches a lot of itches that you mentioned. And I think she'll really like it. And it's shorter. So if she's having attention problems, um, you know, it won't, mm-hmm. she won't have to slog through it. Um, I'm going with, this is not a book I've read, but a couple of, um, uh, people I know have read it and really liked it. And I think it ticks a couple of your grandma's boxes it's called the Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. It's from St. Martin's press. It's about a couple of sisters living in France, um, in 1939. And one of them, uh, her husband goes to war and she doesn't move thinking the Nazis won't get all the way to where she lives in France, but they do. And she and her daughter have to, you know, put up with soldiers living in her home, sort of getting through daily life. 
in occupied France. Her sister um, joins the French resistance. She's 18-year-old, and um, basically the book follows both of them and their attempts to sort of make it through World War II. And from what I've heard, it's a great page turner. It's sold a lot of books already. Mm-hmm. That's something I also know. Um, so I get a sense that it's a, it's a good page turner with just the kind of setting your grandma might be interested in um, as well. Okay. Ooh, I took. Um, I went with Americana by Chimamande Ngozi Adichie um, for the... It's super compelling. I sunk right into it from page one, and I think your your grandma can find a lot to be absorbed by in the story. The chapters are relatively short. Um, it's set in contemporary America, but is about largely um, the immigrant experience, um, a different mm-hmm. immigrant experience than what your grandmother would have had, um, but coming to America, reconciling the, ident- the multiple identities that a person has as they come from one culture and learn to live in another culture, sort of with one foot uh, in each place. Um, it's really beautifully written, but the language is not difficult. Um, big ideas in an accessible, very compelling and very smart way. Um, big book, you know, everybody loved it, talked about it for very good reason. Um, and I think I think there's a lot there. It's it's not the most straightforward recommendation for these for ringing these bells, but I think it would do it. All right, Amanda, you reading the next one? Oh, sure. Um, okay, so this is a request for recommendations for the person who wrote in. Her name is. Katie, um, let's see. She is looking for ideas for mystery or romance series or books written by people of color or that have main characters who are diverse or inclusive. She's making an effort to diversify her reading, and um, she's read some Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Helen Oyoyemi, Jablahiri, um, based on recommendations that we've given her, and she's enjoyed them. Um, but she wants to really stick with her genres that she's loved, mystery, historical fiction, and romance, and it's harder to find uh, books from diverse authors or with diverse characters in those categories that she has found. Um so, yeah, let's see. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yep. I'll, yeah, okay, so I'll go ahead. Um, for the mystery, I recommended an unquiet, The Unquiet Dead by Ozma Zehanat Khan. This came out, I think, this year, actually, in January, and I loved it. Uh, it's about a... Uh, what's the... Oh, my gosh. My brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's about uh, a man who dies in Canada. He's a business owner, an immigrant who dies, and Canada's... They're the town's um, special case, two detectives, like it's about the two detectives that are sent to deal with special minority cases or cases that deal with racial tension are sent out and they can't figure out why. And then they realize that the man was a possibly murdered and two is possibly a Bosnian war criminal. And so they have to find out um, if either of those things are true. And there's a lot of flashbacks to the war. And I, you know, I was like nine when that, when that conflict was happening. Mm. I don't remember any of it. So it was very kind of educational for me. I read it with the book in one hand and like Google on my phone in the other. So I could look up the (laughs) battles they were talking about because I didn't remember any of it. But um, it's a page turner. And Azma Zehanak Khan, I think is a a human rights attorney or something like that. So it's a really interesting book. Um, Yeah, that's me. Uh, I took the romance angle. I just read Hot as Hades by Alicia Ray, which walks, yeah, it is real hot. Uh, (laughs) It walks that, it's between romance and erotica, so totally uh, consider your own steam factor preferences uh, as you consider this, but it is a sexy story about Hades and Persephone. Um, Yeah, so there's that mythology. Um, The tagline for it is, it's not easy being Hades. 
jeez. Oh, <laughs> but it's so good. <laughs> it is so good and steamy and like um I read it on the plane uh, on this trip and I've Awkward. just felt myself <laughs> blushing like everyone around me knew that I was reading this like <laughs> Like, I'm looking at the Amazon description of it right now just to remind myself. And it says, warning, contains an arrogant god, a stubborn goddess, horny deity nookie, and enough supernatural friction to set the underworld on fire. No. And that is excellent and accurate copy. Um, I, thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was really fantastic. Just a fun, steamy, you know, romancy erotica read. Uh, no way to transition to mine, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I went for the historical fiction by people of color, the underrated but classic middle passage by Charles Johnson, um, which is the, a novel. It's about a, a newly freed slave in 1830s New Orleans who gets himself into trouble, and the only way he sees out of it is to join a slave ship en route to go collect um, slaves from uh, an African tribe over there uh, in, in the big continent. Um, it's Moby Dick crossed with Beloved. So oh my there gosh. you go. It's not as long though, only 209 pages. Uh, but uh, it's it's allegorical. It's also kind of, it has funny moments, which is a little bit different than, than your Morrison or Melville. Um, but boy, is it is it powerful. So that's my uh, historical fiction pick for you there. Okay. Um, I guess I'm up to read maybe. Yeah. Um, dad, uh, this is for a dad. I was interested in my dad a few books for Father's Day. He reads a lot when he travels for work. He has no time for fiction, boo. That's, that's actually written here. I also agree with the sentiment, but here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, he likes cosmology. He's, read, he's done all the Sagan and Stephen Hawking, so we can't pick off the, the top shelf for our picks there. Uh, enjoys scientific TV programs, Nova, Cosmos, Cancer, The Emperor of All Maladies, which I'm listening to right now and is unbelievable, by oh, the way. Oh, it's so good. Wow. Long, long audiobook. Wow, wow. Yeah, it's 20 hours. Um, so uh, I guess I'll, I'll clean the house and then I'll be done with it. Um, uh, he might be interested in Neutrino Hunters, um, which we talked about on a show before. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work. Okay, what'd you guys pick? Uh, I picked Death by Black Hole and Other Cosmic Quandaries by Neil deGrasse Tyson, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, there's a lot of ranting uh, in that book about scientific inaccuracies in sci-fi movies, yeah. uh, like Alien, which is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, it's mostly... Uh, astrophysics boiled down to really digestible um, essays. So in a very Carl Sagan-y, Stephen Hawking-ish sort of way. Uh, Like what would happen to your body if you fell into a black hole um, and that sort of thing. And also... I'm, I'm breaking a rule here, and I'm saying too, but The Martian, I know you said he doesn't like fiction, oh, but The Martian yes. by Andy Weir reads, like it's it's told from it's the first so person good. POV of a sci- an astronaut stuck on Mars. So if there is a fiction book out there that he would like, Just tell him it's one. nonfiction. And he'll believe it. Yeah, he just because missed he just part missed of the, the Mars landing. There is like yeah. hardcore nerding <laughs> yes, in that book. It's, yes. it's, it's 95% science and 5% WTF is going to happen to this guy who's stuck on Mars. <laughs> so um, anyway... My pick is The Accidental Universe by Alan Lightman, which is sort of a philosophical look at the dialogue between science and religion and the philosophical questions that have been raised by recent discoveries in science and how our um, scientific understanding of the world and the universe pushes against the ways that we've historically understood the world and the universe to be, or traditionally understood the world and the universe to be. Um, it's a short book. It's a quiet, thoughtful, um, yeah, it, like thought experiment and philosophical look at science rather than being about scientific fact. Okay. I'm up. I'm up. I'm up. Yes. You're up. Um, Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. So this is, it, it's, 
in the Martian sort of vein, it's nonfiction, but she kind of goes through the details of what it would actually mean to to uh, outfit a Mars mission. And in the classic sort of Mar- Mary Roach way, she does not shy away from the more, let's say, corporeal aspects <laughs> of being locked in a small uh, space capsule traveling at thousands of miles per hour for months, if not years, on time. It's a lot of fun. It's very informative. It's a more grounded sort of uh, space book where it's like remembering the human in space travel is a way of thinking about that. And I think your dad would be uh, 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 tickled to read Packing for Mars. Should we do our final sponsor before our next ones? Yeah, Scribd. Scribd, Scribd, Scribd. Scribd is back. So here's the deal. Uh, for $8.99 a month, you can get unlimited ebooks, comics, and audiobooks. It is your all-in-one reading solution at Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com. And they, I think we've talked about on the show, they just signed a deal with Random House Audiobooks. And I was just perusing before the show there's some darn fine picks available mm-hmm. here from Random House Audiobooks. So j- just 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 to name a few, um, one we've talked about the show a million times uh, before is "Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me" by Mindy Kaling is available on Random House Audiobooks. The Maze Runner we just mentioned is available on Random House Audiobooks. Uh, uh, the The Paying Guests by Sarah Waters we've talked about on the show is available. Um, Not that kind of girl by Lena Dunham. Gone Girl. Uh, by Gillian Flynn. The the hot paperback book I'd think of the spring is available on audiobook. Girl on the Train by Bala Hawkins. George R. Martin's game. I could go on and on here. Um, Hemingway is available. So if you're interested and you want to pick up the Movable Feast or the great um, World War One novel Farewell to Arms, any or the the great book about fishing, Old Man in the Sea, all of those available there too. Comics, there's a lot here. So one we've ta- I think we talked about the show a million years ago. Um, but might be a lot of fun for someone who likes funny stuff. Hyperbole and a Half is available mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Scribd. Um, there's also Frank Miller's run of Daredevil, Daredevil is available on Scribd, the iconic, basically character-defining run of Daredevil. If you're especially interested, if you've seen the Netflix series or even just sort of getting interested in comic books, there's one to do there. So if you go to Scribd.com, there's just so much to find. It's getting, the selection is getting better and better and really kind of overwhelming in a bunch of interesting things. You can, if you go to scribd.com slash book right now, you get a free month. So that's 30 days of unlimited, unlimited reading and listening and uh, go try it. There's really no downside to hear more than 30,000 audiobooks, millions of eBooks and a whole bunch of comics. I don't have a number for it, but there's a lot. There's a, if you want to try to get into X-Men, there's a bunch there. We've talked about Lumberjanes before. So they've got some capes and non-capes comic stuff um, <laughs> that's going on there. So thanks so much to Scribd for sponsoring the show. Go to scribd.com slash book to get star Ted. Also, it's really good. Like if you've heard some stuff, you're maybe interested in this recommendation show. Like maybe you're not buying the book, but you're like, ah, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. It's maybe not really for me and not my wheelhouse. Scribd is a really good place if you can find it on there um, or something like it to, to try it. And you can give it up because you haven't put, you haven't put out the 15 bucks for the paperback or whatever. But as a trial sampling um, experiment, there's really nothing to beat it there. All right. Back to recommendations. Where All are right. we? Oh, where we got, are we? We've got a question from Suzanne who first says that she loves the show. So thanks, Suzanne. Oh, Suzanne thank um, she's looking for a couple recommendations for her best friend who's turning 25 this year. And for part of the present, she's going to get the friend five books um, because she likes a nice, neat number. So mm. far, she has wild and tiny, beautiful things as the friend is going through a transitional period in her life. And she's also going to give her I'll Give You the Sun by Jandy Nelson and The Sky is Everywhere 
but she stuck for the last couple picks. Um, her friend likes young adult, in particular John Green, Stephanie Perkins, and really liked The Book Thief. And in terms of adult literature, we know that the friend liked Gone Girl. Um, so Suzanne is looking to get her friend some young adult or adult fiction that should be fairly straightforwardly written, not necessarily too literary, but with strong characters and maybe a bit of romance. And also it has to be available in the UK. So... Oh, I didn't check about the UK. I don't thing. know. I don't even know how to check. I'm sorry. You're gonna have to check. We we don't know how to check this. Really, this <laughs> so sorry. Today. Yeah, I apologize in advance if this is not. Yeah. But my my selection was the Walls Around Us by Nova Rensuma. This is a new-ish uh, yeah, YA three, novel. Three weeks mm-hmm. old. Yeah. Yeah, just a couple. Um, which I really really loved. And if she likes Gone Girl, I think this will really scratch that itch. It's got a lot of. It's very dark. It's got some betrayal angles happening. Uh, it's about two teenage girls who are best friends and they are ballerinas and then a tragedy happens that I don't want to give too much away and one of them is sent to a juvenile detention facility it's got some supernatural elements um the character one of the characters turns out to be a horrible person in kind of the same way that like a gone girl everybody's horrible so um show title yeah everybody's horrible so this fits right in there i think um yeah novarinsuma is also really funny so uh, i picked dare me by megan abbott which is like um evil high school cheerleader gone girl <laughs> it's this megan abbott writes these gritty dark but like also funny in the way that she does it uh, i just think she's fantastic but definitely rings the gone girl bells there's a cheerleading squad nefarious things are happening on the cheerleading squad and um there it's a it's a very good surprise about what's actually going on um i was not able i'm never able to predict where megan abbott is going to take the twists and turns of a story um these teenage characters are so believable and so creepy and strange uh and it's just really good compelling page turning reading um so that's that's my pick there. I always think of like if Bring It On were crossed, like with if Gillian cruel Flynn, intentions or something. Yes, yeah, like if Bring It On were crossed with Cruel oh. Intentions, or if Gillian Flynn had written Bring It On, mm. uh, that's what you would get with Dare Me. It's just there. Megan Abbott is so great, and uh, Dare Me, I think, is the right pick for your friend who uh, likes stories about younger people and Doug the Gone Girl thing. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit just because uh, unlike with Harry Potter, if someone's like, she likes John Green or he likes John Green and wants something else, I always go back and make, make sure they've read Perks of Being a Wallflower yeah. um, by uh, Stephen Chbosky just to make sure they've done that because I've read the John Green and I like the Chbosky better. But anyway, so that's, that's sort of a just make sure. Um, but my, my other pick is a little off the board and I'll explain why I, I think that it might make some sense. It's The Confessions of Max Tivoli by Andrew Sean Greer, um, which it's, he, uh, you know, the movie, the Benjamin Button movie where he ages in reverse, this is the mm-hmm. same premise, but done like, well, um, <laughs> is different. Um, it's better got, than Fitzgerald. It, it, <laughs> so it's got some romance. It's got some history. It's got some pain and yearning and beautiful writing and really tortured sort of existence stuff that is really fun at 25. Um, I would say it's a, it's, I should say also it's a book that Michelle and I both love and it's something I've recommended and pulled off my shelves for people who are in a reading slump in my own personal life. Like, I don't know what I want to read. I just want something good. And this is one I pull off my shelf. So if you're trying to sort of transition or, or not transition is the wrong word, but, um, throwing into the mix, 
some more adult fiction. This is one that's adult, but it's got some of the stuff you like about romance and, and suffering and pain and existential dilemmas and, you know, how are we going to make it in this world that seems all messed up, especially since I'm turning into a baby. Um, okay, where are we here? I think I'm up. You're up, yeah. okay. All right. Um, this is from Bethany. I recently discovered the podcast and have since been listening during all of my waking hours. Well, thank you. Um, I was excited to hear you were doing a summer rec show. These, so these are for herself. The show has inspired me to diversify my bookshelves and 2015 summer reading list. She's particularly interested in literary fiction slash books that ruin your life. Mm. In a good way. Oh, oh man, got, I've got Wheelhouse, this. we gotcha. I like intense narration, dark humor, philosophical, sociological themes that make you reconsider everything you've ever believed or at least explode in your brain. Um, she's a big fan of the high priestess Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. Nice. All hail. And, mm, and Ellison's Invisible Man, um, but she's looking for more titles in that vein written by women women, people of color, um, LGBTQ authors, etc. So hope you can help. We can help. Oh, man. Anthony, we have can got we ever? this. Rebecca, killing, you go first. <laughs> the devastating, but I love it, Killing Me Softly book is the thing that I just can't resist. And the most recent one of those is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. It's only been out for a few weeks, maybe a month. This is a big book about um, four young men who meet in college and then move to New York City together after college um, and live their lives for several decades. The story rotates between the four of them and it focuses particularly on one named Jude who had a very difficult, very traumatic and abusive childhood and his whole adult life is lived in response to that and in opposition to it. Um, And also the is about the deep shame that he feels for the things that were done to him and how much that has defined him. Um, His friends just know that he had a terrible childhood. They don't really know any of the details. And over the course of like the 700 pages, Yanagihara very slowly reveals the depth and extent of the things that Jude suffered and also the depth and extent of the repercussions of those things in his life. Um, as a, he becomes a very successful lawyer. And so we see how that stands, um, in opposition to how fragile he feels as a, as a human, um, and these relationships with his friends that sustain him, but are also a, a challenge in that he wants to see them and know them and to be seen by and known by them, but he can't really bear to reveal this stuff. It's so difficult, but so good. Like I had to read it in about in like 20 page chunks, but I also never wanted to put it down. You just kind of hold your breath and cry a lot. Um, it's so, so human. I think it is, it's the most just raw human piece of fiction that I've read in a really long time. Um, so to ruin your life in a good way, mm-hmm. that's where I, where I think you should go. Okay. You asked for it. <laughs> uh, Corrigidora by Gail Jones. Um, so this is about um, a couple of, uh, well, a, a group of women in the same family. And they are the descendants of um, the union of a slaveholder and one of his slaves. Um, and part of their life's mission is to keep the memory of what happened in slavery and to their particular family alive, of the abuse and the torture um, of both their own their own personal narratives and the, the wider experience of, of African slaves. Um, and then eventually one of them, Ursula, Ursa tries to get out and become a singer and, you know, kind of get away from this, you know, little nest of, of people who are living in the past and trying to keep it alive, but also being trapped by it at the same time. Um, it's really tough and it's really intense. 
but it's it's the narration is very spare and minimal. The point of views bleed over into each other. Um, it came out in 1975. Gail Jones writ, wrote it when she was 23, 24 years old, which is remarkable. And an interesting woman in her own right, a lot of interior monologues. Um, and there is a little uptick of hope at the end, but boy, just a little. Uh, it is tough. But if you're ready, if you if you really are into the Morrison vein and you want to deep dive, dive more deeply into sort of the tradition of um, slavery representations in American literature, Gail Jones is kind of the the you know one of the founding documents. This Corregidora. Okay, I went with a nonfiction angle of things that will explode your brain and make you reconsider everything you've ever believed, and that was Men We Reaped by Jasmine mm. Ward, which mm. I just finished reading. A Man, few what ago. a book! Uh, I'm still, I'm in recovery. Like, that's still weeks later. Um, so this is kind of a memoir about Jasmine Ward's growing up in New Orleans in, and in Mississippi in the South in um, complete poverty. And, of course, the racism of the South and all of that. And then it follows her as she grows up and five men, young black men who are close to her, mm. including her brother, die. And they die in various ways, uh, violence, car crashes, stuff. But it always has to do with like systemic oppression and, and poverty and drugs and violence and racism. Um, so she loses five of her close friends and family. And so the book is about that. And it just, I grew up in the South. I grew up poor and brown in the South. And I, so I thought that I would understand some of this book. But and you I don't know. understood nothing. <laughs> like just by virtue of not being black. I could be brown as brown could be. I'm Filipino. I'm very obviously, you know, not white, but by by not being black, my entire experience was completely different growing up in the South. Like, my daily issues with racism do not even compare to what young black men and black women have to deal with uh, in this region. And so it just, like, my, like, I feel like I didn't understand any of the, anything about the lives of my neighbors, like, nothing mm. about the region that I love and hate at the same time. And um, even if you're not from here especially if you're not from here, like you, you will doubly not understand what it's like to be young and black in the South if you've never been here. But um, if you have any interest at all in, in race in this country, and uh, especially now, like it's so timely mm. with all the police brutality stuff that's going on right, right at this moment. Um, but it's so humanizing and just heartbreaking and like rage making. And I'm still yeah. obviously trying to articulate like my feelings about it, but it's like the best thing that I've read and the most horribly difficult thing that I've read in a really long time. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. I don't, are you next? I don't know. I don't I'm, know. I lost track. I'll, I'll go next. <laughs> so this one, is, this is a tricky one. Um, my 66 year old parents, eight year old daughter and I are going on a cross country road trip looking for audiobooks. And they said, Harry Potter isn't an option because the three of us have already read it and maybe too young Yet eight. And it sounds right. Yeah, eight's pretty yeah. young for yeah. Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. um, and we all kind of went the same direction. So uh, maybe we just list some names. These are books you've heard of, but I guess what I was thinking of is something that would be good for the eight-year-old, but that wouldn't drive the older folks crazy is kind of yeah. what I was thinking. I don't know how else to do it. So Charlotte's Web, I think, holds up. I've read it yeah, recently. Yeah. It holds up. Phantom Tollbooth, Phantom Tollbooth holds up. Um, one, uh, I think this would be my actual pick from the mixed up files of Mrs. Uh, Basil E. Uh, Funkenweiler. It's about two kids who run away, um, to the museum of natural history in New York city and encounter someone there as they try to figure out a mystery. It's a lot of fun. You learn a lot. It's an adventure. Um, that one would be a lot of fun. And maybe the 66 year old parents haven't, uh, read that one yet. Cause it's come out since they were a kid. So that's what might be new to them and still good for an eight year old. 
Um, I went with, since this is for a cross-country road trip, I went with things that are series, so that, no, like, that'll yeah. last a while. But I thought maybe like Little House, The Little House in the Prairie Books, or Anne of Green Gables. Um, the Hobbit is super long, though, so that might last like the whole time. Eight I don't know. Eight? Right, yeah, right? That's, That's how old I was fun. when my dad read it to me. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, not like violent or anything, is it? Oh, I don't remember. Do I don't you remember mean anything. except for all the wars and Well, killing? but it's not like gratuitous oh. gore. Okay, mm. all right. It's not um, gory. Yeah, it's, it's not, not really gory. gory. Or or the Little Women books, Little Women, Little Men, all that. This really depends on how much like preciousness the, the mm, grandparents mm. can deal with. But um, I'd probably go with the Anne of Green Gables or The Hobbit. Yeah, this is not my wheelhouse, but I remembered a few years ago, Penguin released a bunch of classic books on audio with celebrity narrators, um, like Kate Winslet reads Matilda. Mm -hmm. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of like that kind, those kinds of pairings. So familiar voices reading uh, familiar and beloved stories, that might be a good way to go, too. Okay. Yeah, well, we got so we have so many left. Yeah. Um, all right. One, two, three, four. Well, four. Four. We can get through these. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Amanda, I think you're up to read. All right. Um, so this is kind of a long one. This is from. <laughs> she signed it out of my element. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Avid reader. Okay, she's looking for a recommendation for her mother. Right. Um, her mom and dad just recently sold a family business. She's the mother is 56 years old, so she wants to take time to relax. She's got. Um, she, her parents were born in the Middle East as part of a Catholic minority and then moved to the U.S. when they were young. Uh, she loves The Shack, which is a kind of Christian allegorical fiction novel. She's read that over and over. Um, she's tried giving her novelizations about Mother Teresa. She didn't really like that. Um, let's see... So she likes Blacklist and Pretty Little Liars TV mm. shows. That's pretty And great. some fantasy. She likes Lord and of the Rings. Fan- yeah, yeah, she likes Lord of the Rings. Um, so she doesn't want to give her anything that's too complex or highbrow, but something that is engrossing, um, preferably with a religious Christian theme, something with sci-fi fantasy elements, or something to do with Christianity in the Middle East. Um, so, yeah, who wants to go? Ooh. Well, I'm going to steal yours. <laughs> oh, no! Because <laughs> okay. it would have been mine, too. Well, we can tag team it. Okay. Well, I had, um, like, three, so. Yeah, The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell is... Mm-hmm. Um, like the only book that I've read that satisfies these requirements, so it would have been the thing that I thought of. <laughs> um, but it's about it's set in the slight future, and it's about what happens when the Jesuits, um, which you know are a sect of uh, Catholicism or a, one of the different priesthoods. I'm botching this lingo, um, but the Jesuits discover music coming from another planet, and they put together a group of people, some of whom are religious, and some are just science scholars and linguists, and the kinds of people you send off on a mission to another planet to see if there's actually music there. And if so, who's making it? And um, like, you know, figure out uh, the thing about sentient life on other planets. And they have some very big and meaningful and also difficult experiences with the beings that live on this other planet and are making the music. And the novel is really about what it means to be a person of faith, what faith requires of you, um, and what it means to believe in a God who has a plan for things when really terrible things happen. Um, Like, how could God make this happen or allow it to happen? And what does the bad thing mean in the bigger picture? What does your your suffering mean uh, in the bigger picture through this lens of a very sort of sci-fi story, um, but that's told in a way that is is believable and that doesn't require... Like, I'm really bad at um, 
world building in my head with science fiction. And The Sparrow feels very grounded and real in a way that uh, that I was able to get into. Um, that's good pick, Amanda. Good job. Thank you. Well, I hadn't actually read it, which is why there's a question mark beside oh. it. Because <laughs> I don't know. So really you were stealing all of uh, Rebecca's historical recommendations of The Sparrow. <laughs> yeah, so that's sorry. Okay. I totally was. Yeah. I was going off stuff off. We're just no take-backs. No take-backs. <laughs> we're just morphing into one person. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. So I'll go. My, my, my pick was um, The Alchemist by Paolo Cello. This is, oh, dude, did I say that right? Paolo, Paolo Cello. Paolo Cello. Thank Coelho. you. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that out loud before. Yeah. Um, this is, it's an allegorical spiritual journey that takes place in the desert. So I think that gets a lot of boxes that she or checks a lot of boxes that your mom um sounds like she enjoys but it's about a boy who grows up in spain he goes on this kind of spiritual allegorically spiritual journey um in the egyptian desert uh it's not overtly christian it's just more like general spiritual truths set in a page turning sort of adventure um that's it. That's all I've got. I think she would really like that. <laughs> and she might, if she liked the shack, this is similar, except it's not as uh, like fundamentally Christian, but it's, it's similar enough. Yeah. Um, I'm going the very cool sci-fi fantasy uh, route with the golden compass um, by Philip Pullman, which is, uh, I guess it's not sci-fi. I guess it's fantasy though. It's set in more of a, it's like a steampunky technological world. Um, but it also has a, a the life, universe, and everything cosmology stakes. Um, and the, it, he borrows some from Christian tradition, especially stuff about angels, um, to fill out the world building. But there's there's several books in the series, so if she likes that and she's retired, she you know it's a nice big one. I read the the whole trilogy in a really ratty paperback on the beach and really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Um, so that's one I would I would pick for for your mom there. All right. Okay. The next one is from Chris. Uh, Chris has a father-in-law who uh, is wonderful and loves books, trains, and books about trains. So he's looking <laughs> for recommendations in that Venn diagram. Um, he was thinking something along the lines of steampunk, but doesn't actually think his father-in-law would go for steampunk. So fiction or nonfiction about trains. I got nothing, but you two have good ones here. Okay. I got tons of Thomas the Train recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> My kids are still in that books, trains, books about trains. No. Um, I went with a classic, Murder on the Orient Express by Agatha Christie. This is a Hercule Poirot murder mystery um, where mm, with it, you can't really explain these without giving anything away. Um, The ending, the whodunit in this book is very unexpected. I can never figure it out anyway. I'm really bad about figuring out whodunit (laughs) in mysteries, but I was doubly blown away by this one. And it takes place on a train, uh, the Orient Express, going from, I think, Turkey back into Istanbul to Paris, I think. Yes, the, yes. Or an express, um, yeah. So everything takes place in this very like claustrophobic atmosphere, and it's really, really great. Hmm. Um. I, I have to pick two. I'm so sorry for this. <laughs> um. I'm breaking my own rule. The first is the Great Railway Bazaar by Paul, Paul Thoreau, the great travel writer who we actually talked about dying relatively recently. Here he took the Orient Express. Um, and the Khyber Pass Local, the Frontier Mall, and this other one I can't remember, I think the Golden Arrow. Um, all these great fabled trail, uh, excuse me, um, train lines through Asia and wrote about the experiences. And he's just great. He's funny. He makes a lot of great observations. He's really good, especially about the people on the train. Um, I'm not much of a travel writing reader, but I like Paul Thoreau because I got into him through a novel. But anyway, this one's really good. And, and if your dad is into trains, 
I'm guessing he's more into sort of the American rail system, just because that's what I know dads are into most of the time. So this is a really good look at that. The other one, since you were thinking steampunk anyway, um, Rail Sea by Chen is Moby Dick, but of trains. And it's like the Rail Sea is this crazy like train ocean made of rails and they go hunting this giant mole and it's crazy and it's fun and it's weird. And um, I hadn't read any Mieville until recently and I picked up a few and this one I picked up and it's like, it's definitely weird, but if you're into giving your dad something that's super train heavy, but something he's never read, um, that's something I would, I would take a look at. You might read a few pages yourself first. That's one I would give a caveat just to see if it's going to be too bonkers for your dad. Cause it's pretty bonkers <laughs> on the bonkers meter. It's, it's, it's like at least a giraffe. Um, so anyway, show title. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, I read Harry Potter a few years ago. Here we go. Harry Potter. Last one. This is our last one. This is our last one. Um, so withdrawals. Anything else? Um, she's tried The Magicians, didn't love it. Um, all right. Thanks. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, there's like multiple. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I think this was a different This was three-pronged here. Yeah, yeah, let's take that one. Or, or no, or, you can pick no. what you want. More romance, she says, to broaden my horizons. Or contemporary short novels, novellas, and short stories. So... Uh, Harry Potter 2, um, <laughs> romance, and uh, short stuff. Okay. Uh, for Harry Potter 2, I would suggest my absolute favorite YA series. It's the Sabriel trilogy, although now it's got a prequel, but whatever, by Garth Nix. It's Harry Potter... Um, Reversed. So instead of being a normal human being who goes off to magic school, Sabriel is a necromancer's daughter who goes off to normal people's school. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. To get away. And it doesn't take, it's not um, like modern day. It's very kind of medieval. But um, she, her father is a famous necromancer. So his job is to take all of the dead creatures who are coming back to life and tormenting his society and put them back where they belong. She goes off to, um, she crosses the wall, which known as the wall, and goes off to normal people's school to learn how to do normal people things. And um, a big baddie comes along that has a beef with her family in the same way that Voldemort has a beef with Harry's family. Um, and she has to leave school at a very young age, too young, and take up the mantle of being the chosen one who is like the necromancer to defend her kingdom. So there's a lot of parallels to Harry Potter, but it's a good deal darker. So if you're, you know, obviously you're a little bit older now than you were when you read Harry Potter. Um, but it's got all of that wizards, which is magical creatures, excellent world building, great writing, super engrossing. And the series is complete. And actually in June, a collection of short stories that he wrote set in that universe is coming out. So by the time you get through all three of them, you'll have a new thing to read. So Sabriel Trilogy, Garth Nix. I'll take the short story angle. So Jeff uh, has to do romance? Oh, well, wait. No, I'll you do can both. do whatever you want. We'll do, if you don't, I'm yeah. gonna, Jeff broke rules last time, so I'm going to break rules this mm. time. Um, on the romance side, we've talked about Sarah McLean a million times, but if you're reading Julia Quinn and you have not read Sarah McLean yet, definitely pick her books up. Um, where the Bridgerton series is all connected by the um, – each one is about a different sibling in the Bridgerton family and the romance that they have – all of McLean's books in the Rules of Scoundrel series, which there are four. Um, each one is about a different one of the people who owns this most exclusive gambling hall in London and uh, who that person falls in love with. And they're just great and wonderful and steamy and awesome. And Amanda recently recommended to me The Duchess War by Courtney Milan, which is a, also a Regency romance, but uh, about a 
like the heroine is older. She's like in her late twenties. She was probably going to be a spinster. She's brilliant and um, falls for this duke. And how are they going to have uh, a relationship that defies all of their cultural expectations? It is so smart and just like kind of laugh out loud, giggle, clever, um, and very steamy as well. Um, so that was a great recommendation that came down from Amanda. Um, for short stories, she mentions that she um, read The Miniature Wife, which is one of my favorite collections and really liked it. The book, the stories in that collection are a little weird. And uh, my favorite short story collection ever, which is also a little weird, is What the World Will Look Like When All the Water Leaves Us by Laura Vandenberg. Um, like, There's one about a woman whose husband is bent on finding the Loch Ness Monster. And so they <laughs> travel around. There's one about a woman whose job is to dress up as a Bigfoot for people who pay to go on Bigfoot hunting adventures. And like, they know they're paying for it and that Bigfoot isn't real, but they pay and she dresses up and like tromps around in the woods as Bigfoot. Um, Everybody is looking for something that they can't quite find in some cases because the thing doesn't actually exist, but they want to believe in it. It's so, so, so good. Um, So what the world will look like when all the water leaves us by Laura Vandenberg. Mm, I'm switching mine at the end. Um, I'm going the short, the short stuffs the way. Mm. And um, the book I don't get to talk about enough for whatever reason, but or I don't. I'm sure I've had plenty of chances. Is a Woman Hollering Creek by Sandra Cisneros. Short stories um, about um, life uh, as a Mexican Americans along the Mexico Texas border, um, especially about young girls trying to get out of these mm. small town lives where there's not a lot of places to go. Um, she knows about it. She knows of what she speaks. It's beautiful writing. It's very short. The vignettes are very short, but super evocative. And uh, I read this in college and still think about it from time to time. So, you know, now that I'm that 10,000 years old, it tells you that for the last nine millennia, at mm-hmm. least this one has stuck mm-hmm. with me. And I guess that's our show. That Woo! is. Woo. Woo. Boy, that yeah, was jumbo a lot. helping of reading recommendations. Um, good job, uh, guys. Thank you so much, everyone, for writing in. Uh, you'll get another shot when the leaves are turning uh, again in the fall. As always, you can find show notes for this and every podcast at bookwright.com slash podcast. You can email us podcast at bookwright.com. You can find Amanda on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am no apostrophe because Twitter doesn't like apostrophes, as I know, because I have one in my last name and I'm not bitter or anything. Uh, Rebecca <laughs> is at uh, Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. I'm, I'm at the Jeff O'Neill. Uh, O-N-E-A-L thanks so much to Scribd Invincible and Squarespace for sponsoring the show I hope all of you have wonderful celebrations of your graduations and your parentage or just getting something great to read when the sun is shining Um, we'll talk to you all next week have a good one bye bye